Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On Commons People this week... Well, I may have to ask him whether he used the word dead in the water, but I just want well, to be clear he, whether it's he, he your characterisation or whether you're saying he said it. Is Chequers dead? I believe that we should all be united in our determination to tackle anti-Semitism. Yeah. Is Labour's anti-Semitism problem going away? For the first time, we are now saying as a country that misogyny is not a part of life. And why is Stella Creasy so good at that backbencher thing? Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined by Paul War. Hi, Paul. Hi there. And Kate Forrester. Hey, Kate. Hi, Ned. How are you? I'm all right. How are you? Good. What a summer, eh? So Boris resigned, David Davis resigned, everyone was really racist. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you're back now, so you've got to talk about Brexit, I'm afraid, everyone. Again. Um, so is Chequers dead? I think we'll start with a clip of Stephen Kinnock, Labour MP, talking to Dominic Raab, the new Brexit secretary, at the select committee yesterday, where he said Michel Barnier said Theresa May's plan was doomed. Just on the next sort of stage of that conversation, which was, he, he was then asked, well, given that Chequers is dead in the water, uh, it seems that what you're saying to us is it's going to be some kind of CETA-based deal. And, and Barnier agreed with that. He basically said... Can I just check? You said dead in the water. Are these your words or his? Uh, I, it was all in French, so I can't give you the exact so these French are your solution. Words. I, it will be all published. Uh, it was a public session, so I would be very happy to well, show I may have to ask him whether he used the word dead in the water, but I just want well, to be clear he, whether it's your characterisation or whether you're saying he said it. He said, les propositions sont mortes. Okay. Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you, in, in the water was uh, an anglicism. Paul, checkers, is it, is it going to survive? What's, what's going to happen well, there? Well, um, it's, it's not dead, but it sounds like it's on life support, doesn't it? I mean, it really yeah. is in a bad way because the main reason is that on the Tory side, you've got people like Justine Greening, who you interviewed this week, mm. um, making absolutely clear, clearer than ever, that she, she agreed with Boris that Chequers wasn't a good idea, but for, for different reasons. She's she a felt, Remainer saying yeah, it's bad. And it then... doesn't go as far as she wanted it to. You know, it separates services from goods and all the, all the complaints that the Brussels are making. Um, and yet you've got obviously the, the, the Davisites and the Borisites who really loathe it because of, they think it's a sellout. And on top of that, you've got Labour saying, actually, it doesn't meet any of our tests. So... It's, so it's a very, very, very um, sticky situation to be on. But having said that, I personally think that the reason it's not dead is because there's this silent majority of Tory MPs who are desperate to avoid a general election, desperate to keep Theresa May alive. Actually, some of them really do like her, mm. believe it or not. And they're the sort of people that don't get the headlines. They're the sort of middle of the roaders. They're the backbenchers and also obviously junior government ministers. She's got all the payroll vote. But there's quite a few backbenchers who are uneasy but just want to get through this and are giving her a fair wind. And they could be crucial if if they don't sort of, you know, make noises off like the others have. And we're going to see quite a lot of noises off that, aren't we? I mean, you've got today, David Davis announced he's going to join Nigel Farage at the big Leave Means Leave rally. So the Brexiteers, so they're not backing down, are they? I mean, 
is do you think it's going to shift Kate or? Um, I mean, the Bre- it's very, very on brand, isn't it? The Brexiteers not backing down. That's <laughs> that's their MO. Yeah. Um, I think we're not going to have a proper clear idea of exactly what's going to happen until after conferences, especially after Labour, because we still don't really know whether they're going to, what their sort of way forward is going to be. Um, they need to work out what their position is on how they're going to address the checkers agreement. Obviously, it's not going to meet their six tests. So then what do they do? Because that's been their fudge so far. And once we're past that point, what happens then? Well, I think that's a really good point because in many ways, if you look at it from the point of view of the people who are Labour and are really nervous about Brexit, they don't need a referendum if Labour is really hard line and says, right, we're going to vote against this. This isn't what we, what Britain needs. We're going to vote down checkers. And it looks like Labour are. Mm. Now, if they're going to vote down Labour, that checkers, why do you need a referendum? Because you've got um, the main opposition party against whatever Theresa May comes forward as a form of Brexit. And then, of course, it's entirely up to the Tory party to sort itself out and whether or not it goes through. And you have to say, in a democracy, if the people vote in a referendum for Brexit and then there's a general election and the party that actually has most seats then says, well, this is the form of Brexit we should have, who can really push for a second referendum after that? But a lot of people are, though, aren't they? I mean, the GMB union came out this week in favour of a second referendum. We've got the TUC conference coming up where there's motions about the TUC backing another referendum. So the pressure on Corbyn's growing. Do you think he's going to back down? I mean, currently the position is always said, you know, uh, we're not, don't want one now, but we're open all options are open. And interestingly, actually, people were pointing out that he told the whole Daily Mail this week that Labour, quote, doesn't have a policy, which is, maybe I'm reading too much into this, <laughs> but that is subtly different than saying our current policy is not to have one, but we might change our mind. Yeah. Maybe I'm being a bit too sort of reading the tea well, leaves, but do you think he's going to have to change position or they stick fast to I personally, avoiding it? I personally think that Keir Starmer's done a brilliant job in moving Labour's position to make it much more difficult for Theresa May, boxing her mm. in. Uh, and he's basically been responsible now. Even the threat of a second referendum scares number 10 because they think, well, is, is Labour going to pull support for the Chequers deal? And that's what really matters to them. Um, I personally think there are so many impracticalities about a second referendum. The fact that you need under legislation a very long period for a campaign, six months or whatever. You'd inevitably have to postpone Article 50. You'd have to delay Brexit. Mm. Now, is Labour really, really going to want to be seen in its own seats delaying Brexit? That, I think is very, very difficult. They might end up having to do that anyway, though, mightn't they? Only if the government has to do that, yeah. Mm. Um, uh, but would Labour proactively mm. do that? I don't know. I think, because actually in Justin Greening's interview with us, a point she made, that she wants a referendum, um, but she makes the point that Labour has to decide quickly if they want one, because you can't organise a referendum overnight. Yeah, You know, like exactly. you say, it takes a long time. So I think, the t- whilst the time is running out to get a deal, it's also running out, to have a referendum. It's not that long away. You can't but you, just but you put know, one the together, real, have the campaign, do the whole... The real difficulty with the second referendum is no one yet has come up with a decent question for the ballot paper. What is it going to be? Would it be, we don't... Uh, do, you, do you support Theresa May's checkers deal or do you not? Mm. Or would there be some third option? What is it, third option? I mean, then, if it is her deal or staying in the EU or dropping out in WTO, all those three options then, I don't know, Theresa May would probably think she could win that referendum. But who knows? It would still look really messy. It would be really messy, Mm. wouldn't it? So I think that's the difficulty with it. Whereas Boris... Well, I was going to come to Boris. Yeah. 
Well, no, Boris, what's he up to now? <laughs> well, Boris Johnson, obviously. Um, there's a new poll out today in the Conservative Home. He's extended his yeah. lead amongst Tory activists as their main favourite choice to replace Theresa May. That's significant. The other thing we learned this week is that he's going to really make a... a bigger splash than we thought at party conference um the spectator had a very nice story that actually he's going to have this 24-hour blitz from when his his column lands in the telegraph on a monday of conference and he, then he's going to appear on tuesday at party conference with this big big rally and Isn't then he's it? going to go so it's 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 all about focusing him just on one event mm. and one sort of key key period and then so he arrives drops the bomb and then goes and i think that's quite good will be quite effective well that's what he used to do as well wasn't it i remember a birmingham conference where he rocked up at the station all the press was there yeah. and followed him all the way to the conference center all around all the time i know it's extraordinary the circus will always follow him even mm. more now but mm. the question is you know what is he actually going to say and that's why i think the most ominous thing in recent days was last night um the suggestion that finally they're going to start saying oh, an alternative because number 10 this week did something very unusual in slapping down Boris his column this week they said actually there are no new ideas here and he's not a serious leader with a serious plan if somehow he and Davis can concoct a, what they think is a serious plan and do it very quickly the word is they might even try to do it on Monday's column for Boris then it gets very mm. interesting isn't the idea around this rally that he's doing like a Chuck Checker's speech. Yeah. So basically, he's turning up, causing chaos, and then disappearing. So the entire story of the whole conference is going to be his speech versus Theresa versus May's, May's sort of yeah. austere. Which you've got to say is quite canny in terms of politics yeah. within the party. The question is whether or not the the members are going to really kick off. Will, will the Tory average Tory rank and file, like I say, the sort of the great sort of not just the MPs, but the silent majority in the Tory party, many of whom are obviously worried about checkers, but mm. equally are quite loyal to May. What are they going to say if Boris really does disrupt, disrupt the conference? I don't know. Exciting. I bet you can't <laughs> we'll wait. There. <laughs> yeah. We'll definitely be there. Um, so, it's worth mentioning, yeah. by the way, you opened with that clip, that brilliant clip between Stephen Kinnock and... Uh, and mm. and Dominic Raab. It was interesting that Dominic Raab had this sort of flash of anger. There was the old Dominic Raab. So far, he's, he's been quite emollient recently, but yeah. that looked like he really I, had a baseball bat stuffed yeah. up at the back of his jacket, And I think it? people, if they didn't watch it, they should go back and watch the very start of that committee session. It was a European scrutiny committee with Bill Cash, who's a hardcore Brexiteer in the chair. And it was Brexiteer versus Brexiteer. It was Raab against Cash. Um, Cash just wanted to talk to Ollie Robbins, didn't care about Dominic Raab, was diminishing Dominic Raab, saying, well, you're not really in charge of anything. Yeah. And um, Raab's face was quite a picture showing yeah. his irritation. And it, it wasn't... The Kinnock clip, obviously, was a Remainer against yeah. Raab. But most of the committee, the session, was interesting for the, the internal Brexiteer war going on. That's good point. So I do recommend watching it if you have a spare couple of hours. He was quite <laughs> so, ballsy, wasn't he, at... Um, was it the Lords Committee he appeared in front of mm. a few weeks ago as well? It was all I wouldn't stand for this, or I can't remember the exact quote, but he was uh, he was very very bolshy, yeah. sort of David right. Brent esque. Yeah. He's karate black belt after mm. all. So now Labour, um, obviously Jeremy Corbyn's summer has been dominated by accusations the party's riven with anti-Semitism, that he is an anti-Semite, um, which has obviously been quite depressing. Um, here's a clip of Theresa May at the start of PMQs kind of weaponising that row against him straight away. I believe that we should all be united in our determination to tackle anti-Semitism. So when the leader of the Labour Party stands up, he should apologise for saying that Jewish people who have lived in this country their whole lives do not understand English irony. So 
Paul, yesterday the Labour NEC approved the kind of international definition of anti-Semitism, kind of eventually. Um, Like, what did that mean? And do you think Corbyn's kind of survived this? What's position is he now? It's been interesting this week. Um, There was definitely it was a big showdown moment at that NEC meeting. You you had this awful spectacle outside, which has been everywhere. Mm. And actually, is is is, of, of the two opposing protesters, you know, the people who are pro-Israel and people who are pro-Palestinian and somehow being a proxy for pro-Corbyn and anti-Corbyn and they were yelling at each other and if you saw nothing else if you didn't understand what the rail was about the wording of this on that definition if you're an ordinary member of the public you saw those images and you think well, what is it what is this mess all about well Labour's tearing itself apart over mm. something that should be kind of straightforward protecting Jewish people from abuse so I think on one level it's definitely got that cut through I know Mm. people close to Jeremy Corbyn are worried about this precisely because it's gone way beyond an internal party route Mm. it now looks bad like Jeremy Corbyn's not acting on something so that's why this week he authorised um, a change of heart, which was an olive branch to the Jewish community to approve this international definition in all its forms uh, of anti-Semitism. Now, but he also upset people at the meeting by reading out a long statement saying, well, also, we should think of the the strong anti-Zionist tradition within Labour and the fact that the state of Israel, when it was set up, the circumstances could be described mm. as racist because of the way Palestinians were treated. Now, that all that language was rejected by um, it made it was made quite clear, should we say, by his colleagues around the NEC. He didn't have a majority to formally endorse it. So instead, you've got this curious form of words afterwards where we were told that the NEC welcomes Jeremy's statement as a contribution to the debate. But that's interesting, it's isn't like it? It's like he was he, he was just an ordinary member. Yeah. Like, he's not leader of the Labour Party. And, you know, the NEC, you know, with you've got Corbyn-friendly NEC members who, am I right in saying, they kind of, decided against what he wanted. That was what was really, really striking was that Rhea Wolfson, who's a momentum Mm. uh, activist and is uh, leaving the NEC, partly because she's had enough, I think, Mm. of of the treatment she's had online. Um, No, she's Jewish, she's left-wing, she's a close ally of John Lansman, but she was on this anti-Semitism working group with Lansman, which came up with some kind of answer to how do we solve this problem, this whole mess. And they finally worked out that having made the error last time of not adopting this full definition with all its examples, that they would at least do that as a sign of goodwill to the community. And what they didn't want, and she spoke very strongly against, was Corbyn's statement, which she felt would just create even more problems, would just dig it all up again. And she's been subsequently, you know, people on the left of court said that she's betrayed them. She's um, been very consistent on she anti-Semitism, though. She has. She's not shifted her position. She has sort of stuck to her guns throughout. Yeah. Um, and didn't I heard something about the NEC when they had a 10 minute break after they'd spent hours and hours discussing this. It was meant to be 10 minutes to kind of take stock of what people had said and it ended up being over an hour. Yeah, exactly. Because they couldn't. It was a tea break that but, lasted a rather long okay. time. Do you, you know, do you think all these kind of the intricacies of the definition in NEC meetings, will that actually change people's mind now? Or is it just set kind of in the country's kind of mindset that Labour and Jeremy Corbyn don't like Jewish people? Do you think it's too late or... Uh, I think it's had much more cut through than you might expect. Mm. Whether people understand the whole IHRA stuff is another matter and whether they care about the intricacies of the Labour Party is another thing. Um, But this has definitely had cut through. I've had people who 
aren't interested in politics at all sort of raise this and say, oh, you know, what about Jeremy Corbyn? What about Labour and anti-Semitism? Um, and that's from people who aren't so, Jewish as well. Exactly. So imagine if you are Jewish. There's no question virtually every Jewish person I know has now written off Jeremy Corbyn. Mm. Um, they're waiting for another leader, whoever that might be at some point in the future. They, they simply don't believe him because of his long history of sharing platforms with, with people who are, they feel are extremists. Having said um, that, though, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, um, there are... Th- th- there are a huge number of people who this just is a conspiracy it's a confacted media conspiracy that's been thought up to make jeremy corbyn look bad and there are huge 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 numbers of the labor membership who just think that and they will not be swayed there is nothing that Mm. that you could say that will change their minds on that i think that's probably why partly that that constituency you know we saw it in the jc9 vote for the NEC, the people who went on, the, that they backed this guy, Peter Wilsman, despite the fact he'd made some very, very daft remarks at a previous meeting. Um, and, people, you know, yeah. people were rallying around him. Exactly. And people people did point out he was a poor sort of, he was a poor ninth in terms of getting onto yeah. the ballot. He wasn't really because he still beat Eddie Izzard by over 3,000. Yeah, and Eddie That's... Izzard has 5 million followers on Twitter. Can yeah. I point this out? Yeah. Whereas Wilsman tweets, possibly in his CLPD, this, is this campaign for Labour Party democracy Twitter account to about, I don't know, a, a couple of thousand people. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to show that the party itself is probably where Corbyn is and they'll do anything to defend him against the media. And that's why ultimately Corbyn has the numbers in the party, has the numbers at the NEC normally. But so it all and it, it's true if, if the left really want to push this, Rear Wolfson's gone next time. Eddie Azard's gone next time. There's a new NEC after conference. If they really want to push it, they can bring it back. Question is, will Corbyn want to bring it back? And it then all comes back down to his leadership and the people around him really close to him. Do they really want to push this any further? Mm. He might do because of his years and years of pro-Palestinian rights. This and is don't like forget a crucial it. issue for him, isn't it? For it's him, like, it, what know, is politics? Is- it's really important mm. that Palestinians, this is a massive world conflict and he knows it's very complicated um, uh, and Jewish people don't just don't trust him at all. But for him, it's all about Palestinian rights and he thinks that Labour has neglected them. Do you think we've seen um, a diminishing of the kind of influence of momentum in this at all? Because, you know, momentum took Wilsman off their slate of nine candidates, you know, not immediately. And maybe if they had done it quicker, maybe he wouldn't have made it on. Uh, maybe people voted down the line before the momentum said don't. But obviously, we're still seeing people voting for him and saying things online in real life that are anti-Semitic or, you know, extremely you know dodgy, even if momentum saying very loudly publicly do not do this do you think we're starting to see even momentum losing control of some of the of the people it it, it created in a sense well we did a story last week mm. didn't we where we were about the fact that momentum is now using its online power to try and marginalize these people who are saying it's all a smear it's all conspiracy because mm. when they call out anti-semitic tropes now momentum are doing what new labor used to do or yeah. what so-called moderates used to do and try and actually use their power to marginalize these people and you're right there is there is a split but i do think that that nec vote underlined the power of momentum rather than right. exposed it because it under, the, jeremy corbyn almost certainly voted for pete wilsman because he voted straight away john landsman admitted yeah. mm. you were at the meeting mm. on sunday he admitted he voted the very first day for Pete Wilsman. Why? Because it's easier in an online vote to just do it straight away. Yeah. And Momentum have this enormous power and they, they're beginning to obviously use it even more. And I think 
that it, it, I just think it underlined that power, but they just obviously got to it too late. There is a definite split, though, isn't it? Because you saw the likes, like the real Corbyn online foot soldiers, like Rachel Swindon, yeah, um, saying that he was finished. Um, and so Chris Williamson that, obviously is their, yeah. their, their vanguard. And curiously, Clive Lewis as well, who actually, mm-hmm. Clive Lewis is a, a shadow cabinet, a shadow junior minister. And he's he's been online quite mm. active and in defending a lot of the people who've been kicked out. And you just, I'm not quite sure why he's doing that. Mm. I don't Chris know Williamson, getting... next Labour leader, perhaps. Please. <laughs> but with that, we're going to do a quiz now. Hooray! Um, I was going to say on a happier note, it's not really... Um, I thought given sort of Donald Trump's latest outburst against the press, uh, this quiz is called uh, Free Speech or Don't Speak. Oh, um, it's, it's a really bad quiz. No, but, um, they're always bad. So, My favourite uh, kind. That's their yeah. charm. So um, the UK is ranked 40th in the world for press freedom this year. Uh, I'm going to list some other countries. I'm going to tell you, what you to tell me, are they higher? So the press is freer or are they lower? So it's less free. If it's higher, free speech. Yeah. If it's lower... Don't speak. Okay. Okay. Yeah? Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it doesn't really make sense, but yeah. So uh, we're fortieth, okay, out mm-hmm. of one hundred and eighty. Mm-hmm. Wow. Where do you think? Pretty Costa- low, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite. It's quite low. Where do you think Costa Rica is? Ooh. I'd uh, say higher. Yeah. Freer. Free it's a nice cuddly country. Lots yeah. of animals. Nice, nice animals. Nice, nice nothing, jungle nothing, and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing much happens in Costa Rica, is it? Yeah. It's tenth. There you is go. It? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. What go. about Lithuania? Ooh. I suspect that's better than us because it's had a strong anti-communist tradition since they got independence. So they probably really value their free press. I'm, I'm going to say higher. I'm going to say don't speak. Uh, it's higher, 36. Mm. Okay, um, Poland. Oh, that's a disaster, surely. <laughs> I, I think worse than us. I think much worse. Not much worse, but worse than us because, I mean... Maybe I'm misrepresenting the great Jewish, I mean, great Polish. Oh, here he goes. Polish press. But my, our colleagues in the media Kate, surely you, are doing well in Poland. If you could guess it without being racist, that would be good. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm going to say, yeah, I'm going to say don't speak. Yeah, 58. So, yeah, okay, I'll give you a couple more. Uh, Burkina Faso. That's got to be worse, surely. I don't know anything I don't know. about I might be Burkina wrong. Faso. Or even where it is. It's in Africa. Yeah, we know that. Well, Kate doesn't. I didn't. She's looking at me completely <laughs> blankly. Actually, it's such a small country. Maybe it's better than us. I'm going to say higher. I was going to say higher. higher. You keep stealing my... I'm oh, sorry. Oh, go on. What are yeah. you saying? Higher. Uh, no, it's lower. It's Damn 41. It. Oh. So only, only by one, you know. Oh. Okay, and uh, the US, which we start this about, is 45th. The what, do you think the what do you think the lowest one is? Okay, this is the last question. What do you think the lowest, 180th in the world? North Korea. Kazakhstan. North Korea. Yeah. Is it North Korea? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. And Norway is first, because Norway is lovely, isn't it? I'm surprised yeah. the US is lower than us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm. Apparently so. Maybe Fox News. Who knows? Um, so something different now. Um, Stella Creasy, she had a bit of a blinder, again. Um, yesterday, ministers said that they're going to conduct a review into whether misogyny should be a hate crime. It's an amendment she put down to the upskirting bill. Um, here's Creasy in the Commons last night. Thank you, Mr Deputy Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for listening. For the first time, we are now saying as a country that misogyny is not a part of life. It's something that shouldn't be tolerated, and it is something we are going to tackle. And her commitment to the Law Review Commission looking at all forms of hate crime, including misogyny and the need for new and existing resources, and to fund that is really, really welcome and a positive reflection of what this place 
can achieve. We've just sent a message to every young woman in this country that we are on their side. Gosh, so she's cracked down on payday lenders. She got funds for abortions for women in Northern Ireland. Now this. Is she just kind of the best backbencher ever? Or does she just sort of jump on campaigns like newspapers when you know they're going to win? I think... <laughs> Paul, like what, you know, what... She's, she's a proper, like, battering ram, isn't she? Mm. Like, once she's got an issue that she's going for, she's really going for it. Um, she's got a really good profile. Everybody knows who she is. And I think she's got this knack of, like, presenting an argument in a way that you can't really argue with. Um, I think the way that she speaks and the way that she presents her her views and what she wants to happen is... I just think she's really effective. She's really effective. In I think that she's a reminder that as a backbencher, you can actually affect power by using all those really obscure and, and unusual uh, parliamentary tactics mm. that the public obviously got no much, not much idea about. But there are procedures you can use. And you don't have that huge amount of power as a backbencher, but you can do what she did on abortion, for example, and you put an amendment to the Queen's mm. speech which, you know, is an unusual thing in, its, in itself, that that forced Theresa May to change her mind because the very fact that it, could, that it would look bad to vote for that. Mm. Um, similarly on this, you know, she put forward uh, on misogyny, she put forward an amendment that obviously it wasn't directly about the upskirting and voyeurism bill. That's why the government wanted to reject it. But again, the government didn't want to look bad. Mm. That, and she knew, she used this power of the fact that Chris Chope had been, a, the Tory MP had been a dinosaur about upskirting, mm. blocking the bill. So the government are already on the back foot. If they're on the back foot, that's a good time yeah. to start pushing them further. Um, and I think she was quite shrewd at picking the, the right bit of legislation. And the same goes for Wonga. You know, it was under Cameron and Osborne. She was the one that brought forward the amendment um, on payday loans, payday lenders. She was fully supported by the Ed Miliband's front yeah. bench at the time. And she was using an outrider for the front bench then. And it was quite interesting. What's what's changed, of course, is the leadership of the oh, yeah. party's changed. Did you think she sort of uh, is quite secretly happy she didn't become deputy leader? Because obviously she ran back at the time. She the... did. And I remember yeah. traipsing up and down the country at those uh, hustings for deputy mm. leader. They were... Traipsing, you they mean were, were joyfully going around Skipping. the country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, She would have ended up resigning, wouldn't she? Yeah, probably. I would have thought so. Yeah. I mean, the interesting thing, though, is that... Um, What's, what's interesting about Stella Creasy is that many in the left really don't like her. She's mm. got a big problem with momentum in her own backyard in, in Walthamstow. Um, the, the, some of the stuff is really vicious uh, and all sorts of claims about her family and, and influence. And she's, she's furious about her own family getting involved in all that because her parents were involved in the local party. Um, and what will be interesting will be after yesterday after yet another success will momentum back off a bit and say actually this woman let's cut her a bit of slack or will they still keep going mm. for her because i'm convinced that you know if there were some open or great attempts at reselection she'd be one of the first in the firing line because mm. the relations between her and the local party are not good and you know it doesn't help that john mcdonnell although he's done an interview with us today saying that he doesn't like more open selections appears in her constituency regularly with with some of the mm. lefties on on uh, on on platforms now he'll say that's perfectly legitimate but behind the scenes i think she's not very pleased about that mm. so I the interesting thing about her is just what what her relationship is like with the leadership i mean this week on that very bill i was the one who rang her to say look i'm being told that the labor front bench is supporting your amendment and she said that's news to me they haven't phoned me <laughs> brilliant and that just says everything yeah, yeah. doesn't it 
she just she doesn't take it lying down though does she like you said about the john mcdonald stuff privately she's not very happy i mean publicly she's not very happy she's not very happy honest. but uh, and to be fair and we're always fair on this on this podcast of course um that even some moderates she rubs up the wrong way that's true i mean let's be fair some some a moderate MP once described her to me as Saint Ella, Ster Ella. Um, um, you know, there's, maybe there's something there that I don't know what it is, but there, well, you know, obviously there are personality clashes there in every bit of politics. Can't argue with uh, her achievements. This, but exactly. This term, she though, she and, and David Lammy this week was, I mean, he was GQ's yeah. backbencher of the year, I think. Yeah, you, last can't, night. you can't argue you know, with either achievements and you can't argue with the achievement of this podcast. Very, and, very true, Ned. And that's the end. <laughs> Bye. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.